Welcome to Live Sense 8. I'm Sheila Applegate. And I'm Zach Hansen. And a special shout out to Justin Applegate for the composition of the Live Sense 8 podcast music. In this podcast, we dive deep into the concepts of consciousness and other interesting trivia in the Netflix original series, Sense8. We're doing an episode-by-episode exploration of how we can live a Sense8 life, and we're also talking with cast and crew and team members of Sense8 to hear the experience from their perspective. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Marisa Dranchak, Conscious Life Coach. Discover how vibrant life can be. You can find out more about Marisa at myconsciouslifecoach.com. And Divine Phoenix Books. Books with a purpose for a positive change. Check out Divine Phoenix Books at divinephoenixbooks.com. In this segment, we talk about what's going on in the world of Sense8. It is December, and that means that we are in the middle of the Sense8 rewatch. Of course, this means that you are encouraged to rewatch Sense8 this month as often as possible. Also, let's offer some tweets and posts on social media that will spark people's interest about the show and maybe bring to it new viewers. On January 25th, Zach and I will be in San Francisco doing a live audience Live Sensate podcast recording. We're going to have an amazing panel of actors. We have Michael Summers, who plays Bug, We have Maximilian Ewalt, who plays Grace, Amanita's mom. And we have Sandra Fish, who plays Janet, Nomi's mom. We also have Tino Rodriguez and Virgo Pariso. They played the green and purple fairies, the notorious givers of the brownies and changing of consciousness. They're also amazing artists. If you've listened to their podcast, you'll know what an incredible duo these two are. So we're very excited to be able to spend some time talking, to get live audience questions, and to really explore some different avenues with these amazing cast members. Tickets are available now. We will have the link on the webpage. It is a intimate evening, so Grab your ticket as soon as possible for Close Up and Personal with Sheila, Zach, and the cast. If you are in the San Francisco area for that, the following day, Zach and I will be offering a fractal illumination gathering. For those of you who are interested in learning more about this gathering, we have a couple spaces left for that as well. Season 2, Episode 5. Fear Never Fixed Anything. Directed by James Mateek, created by Lily and Lana Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski. Written by Lana Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski. Interesting episode going on here. Oh, yeah. Good episode. Great episode. Yeah? You liked it? Yes. You know, it's pretty good. <laughs> Just, you know, one of the rare ones that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, every once in a while they nail it. Yeah, I'd, I'd say like every episode. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not. Okay, maybe. <laughs> there are some episodes where you're like, yeah, this is just an okay episode, and then you get slammed at the end. Yeah. So I don't know if I've hit an episode yet that by the end I didn't say, oh my God, this was amazing. Anyway, so today, in this episode, some of the things that are going on. So they open up by the whole cluster together basically kind of stunned by Jonas's death and 
I don't even know I if I would say grieving. They're just in that sort of like aftermath of experiencing that and then the questioning of what do we do now, which becomes a theme for this really big turning point episode. Mm-hmm. I think this is a turning point episode. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Then we move in and Cappius is asked to run for office. He's got some people coming knocking on his door. I thought that one was interesting because he asks them where they're from. And they, they're saying they understand. But they're not actually from his area. And I watched This Is Us. And so there's a story arc going on there where one of the characters is wanting to help a neighborhood that his father lived in and he doesn't live in it. But, you know, he wants to be a politician there because his heart is with them. And it's just an interesting theme to watch that in both right now because we think someone from the inside has to be the one to understand. But then there's the other side of sometimes someone who's empathic or understanding can see the big picture, sometimes being a little bit away can actually assist in seeing. So there's two sides to that, really. Yeah, just a different perspective. Yeah, and sometimes the people that are in it are so caught up in it, they can't see clearly to lead the people to another level. So, yeah. I mean, that was like one little tiny, tiny scene, but I, it caught my eye, especially because I'm watching the other show. And You know what caught my eye in that particular scene? What? Oh, yeah, yeah I do yeah, know. Yeah. So Caffius is there. The, the camera's on Caffius as he's looking at these um, people as he's mm-hmm. asked them to leave. And they look back at Caffius and the camera's on him. And behind him is the poster of Van Damme mm-hmm. over his shoulder. Yeah, so that's cool. a good yeah. scene. That's a good, good catch. I hadn't seen that. Then we have Sun, and I wrote in my notes that she's going home to her family because she really is. She's greeted by her dog, who I think is her family, and then by her sensei teacher. You know, really the most gentle, loving family figure, the one person in the world who helped her grow up and know who she is and the one person that really sees her. Mm -hmm. That was pretty exciting. There's this innocence when she first gets there, this lightheartedness, which actually kind of goes into the first clip we're going to talk about, so I'll get back to that. But there's this lightheartedness of coming home. Later on, Detective Moon... Do you call him Detective Moon or Moon? I always say Moon in my head because, you know, like I the yin-yang. I sun. have no, I don't know. Because <laughs> we call Sun, Sun, and Moon, Moon. I mean, I think it's like an in-between. Oh, my mind just got blown. Is that the sun and moon? Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're not. He's not, guys. <laughs> you like scared me for a, a second. <laughs> anyway, I love that yin and yang kind of. It's cool. But I don't know if we just, as the fans, started to call... Like, I wanted to go back and say, what are they saying? Or are we? am I just calling them that? You know, Duna Bay, I believe I pronounced that mm-hmm. right. She gets me often. She just has... I don't know. Her... her The way she can act on her emotional intelligence. Like, yeah. She just rolled up in that place after... I, we don't know how long she's been in jail. But a lot of people... Not just from being in jail. Because that's not easy on anybody. And the whole scandal with her family. And then people tried to murder her a lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot. She tried to get, you know. And she, she didn't murdered try, but, people yeah. in return. Right. So you have the one them. person almost in the world that has known you for a long time. And she just kind of is still trying to hold herself up. But, but at the same time just needs to just shed one tear that we got to see <laughs> in the scene at the same time. So yeah. it's a uh, good job. Yeah, that's beautiful. And then we've got Kala in this deep thought and contemplation. And we're going to talk about Kala's scenes a little bit in a minute. Will talks to Whispers in London. So that's different because now he's actually going to him instead of Whispers always pretty much coming to him. It's just there's a different energy. Outside of that room. Yeah, there's a different energy to that. And Nomi. 
Nomi's gonna die. <laughs> die an e-death. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a pretty wild, yeah, anonymous, pretty wild scene going on there. Leto is invited. So there's a scene where Leto and his crew are looking at the manuscripts and there's just not really good options. And then they get excited for him because he, Hernando and Danny get excited because he was invited to be a grand master at a pride parade. And he's scared. He's scared about the whole process of having come out, not on his own time necessarily. But one of the things I loved about that is it's like what I teach with emotions and things. We work at avoiding things or keeping things at bay or trying not to go where we don't want to go. But I have a meditation called the Ring of Fire. And it's about like, once you're halfway there, you got to keep going. Like if you if you're trying to get outside the Ring of Fire, and you go part way, and then you go back, you just got to start all over. So it's like, you have to go in to get out. And so the idea of him diving deeper in to his identity as a gay actor as a way of reclaiming and finding the fullness of himself. Tiny little line, but it caught me. And then we've got Riley is being supportive, but then she really kind of nails it at the end and we're going to do her scene. She plays an integral role. And one of the ways we then see Riley really stepping into her power of what her gifts were prior to the cluster and how she brings them in for the first time, Mm -hmm. really. Wolfgang, he gets a scene, he's seduced by Leela. I love Wolfgang. Yeah. He's such a badass. (laughs) But one of the things I noticed with that is she said, you might not want to admit it, but we need each other. And he said, you're wrong, I don't need anyone. You know, that's that vulnerability. He's really struggling with the idea of trusting, I think, even the cluster, you know, just being codependent in that way, in a healthy way, but that's scary to someone who's been in survival mode. Oh, for sure. And is it really codependency when you're literally these other people? Right. You know, I mean, when I said codependency, I immediately flashed back to my life as a clinical therapist and that term was used as a basically dysfunction if someone was codependent you needed to help them i wasn't looking at it in that way when i said it like an interdependency an Mm -hmm. interdependency because even though they're one cluster they're eight individual people and so that is an intricate interdependency right now that they're all on each other's heads they can't really all not be in each other's heads right (laughs) There's no going back. Well, as far as we know, I guess he could just like a little black thing. throw down some. Yep, throw down some blockers for a while. Take a little break. So how about we pop over to Kala? Okay. And her papa, as she is, they're in a. They're having some chai. I believe it's chai. A little coffee drink at the table. Sometimes all my good fortune makes me wonder whether I'm actually appreciating it enough. And if I'm honest, I have to admit that, no, I'm not sure I am. Which then makes me think that there must be some flaw in my personality or my brain chemistry, which means I just have to get used to the fact that no matter what happens, I'm never going to be a person who can ever just feel happy. Come now, that's not true. Few children in the world ever smiled as easily as my daughter did. What happened to that girl? Do you remember the doll you wanted so badly on your birthday? Uh, It had red hair. I know. Thought how you prayed and prayed for that doll. On your birthday, the whole family had come over. There was this huge pile of presents on the table. But none of that mattered. It was like you had this X-ray vision. You went straight to it, ripped it off, and that was it. Party over. I love that doll. As adults, we learn to carefully open all the rest of the presents. 
We are taught to smile and to pretend they are all equally important to us. But our heart always knows the truth. What if the truth is something that can cause people to feel unhappy or, or disappointed or hurt? You know, there are times I wish I could go back to being that little girl. My life was much easier then. But I'm a woman now, and part of being a woman is understanding that hearts are complicated things. Yeah. Are hearts complicated, or is it that the mind complicates the heart? Well, that's a good question. I would say, just sticking right to this um, clip, it is the growing up, it is the mind that complicates. Because as a little girl, you just go for what you want. You don't question the heart or analyze it or try to get it to fit in to society or calculate how that's going to affect other people around you. You just live from that heart. But if we look at it the other side, what is complicated or uncomplicated, that has to do with how we interpret it, right? There is no complication in any... The only way something can be complicated is when we're trying to understand or interpret it, and therefore then that is the mind. So for the mind to understand the heart, then it's the union between the two that can only even make that question. Between the sun and moon? Yes. (laughs) Right? Like you can't, no, the heart can't be, it can't be complicated. It doesn't analyze. It just is. So, yes, it would be the mind's interpretation of the heart that would make it feel complicated. Another amazing scene where we have a supporting character supporting and being awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally great. There are so many aspects to take in this one clip, but I want to start at the beginning. I just want to point out that she talks about all her good fortune, It's almost like she's not deserving of having sadness or confusion or uncertainty because she has good fortune. I think this is actually a really common theme, especially with a lot of my clients, because we're working with people who do have good lives. Our society emphasizes survival and struggle, right? And so... If you have a good life, there's a sense you should just shut up and appreciate it. So that means that you have to be having misery, like you have to have exterior miserable situations in order to justify the emotional spectrum, which is within all of us. So in the, we're just going to take this theme through the whole episode. But if we step out of survival mode, we almost have a guilt for being human. The whole point of moving beyond survival mode is to be able to experience all of our emotions. And yet, we have guilt about experiencing some of them, because we think that if we're not in survival mode, if life is good enough, that we don't have to survive, that we aren't worthy, we aren't allowed to have some of the different emotions or conflicts that that we justify in people who are struggling. This, to me, this is a very, I mean, I don't have the answer for this myself personally, but I just, I think about how much beauty I'm surrounded by and how much beauty, and I mean natural beauty, like nature is beautiful and the animal kingdom is beautiful. Like there's so much natural beauty that surrounds us outside of the materialistic beauty that um, people have built. But how is it that we can still be in uncomfortable situations and with fear and guilt and jealousy and anger and all these things? How to me, it just it's not a logical thing that we can be surrounded by beauty and yet still not find happiness. Because, I don't know, that's just one of my things. I haven't figured that out yet. And I think she's surrounded by beauty. She has a very fortunate life. 
and she, yet she's still struggling with her ability not to be as happy as she was as when she was a kid because she's looking for these conditions to be fulfilled or because society tells her she has to be one way or another. Well, so if we take that to the story about the doll, and I love what her father says to her at this point. We are trained, right? When she was a little kid, she might have enjoyed all the other toys, but she didn't care in that moment. She knew what she wanted. She knew before she even opened it where to go to it. Her heart just led her to it. And even though there was a ton of other presents, her she was fulfilled because she could have had a thousand presents. And if she didn't have that one, that was the one that she wanted. So what he's saying is we're taught to appreciate everything, everyone in the same way, right? And to give as much value to different aspects. But in our true nature, our soul is going to know what we want, what's going to bring us the most joy, what brings you joy, isn't necessarily going to bring me joy, what society or friends could tell me you have it so great, I wish I was you, they can never understand what my heart really longs for. And if I don't allow myself to honor all aspects of my heart, the truth of my heart, that I could have the most brilliant life. And if I haven't fulfilled that deepest part within me that is seeking to be fulfilled, not by some teacher's method or by what society tells me should fill it or by a spiritual book, but whatever my heart is desiring, then I can put my attention and appreciate and love everything else and be grateful for it but it's never going to fill this part of my heart that has not yet been filled yet. I could, if I were a Kala and I opened up a thousand presents, but that one present that my heart longed the most for wasn't there, I could train myself to appreciate all the others. I could tell myself I could find appreciation in them, but that doesn't mean that part of my heart would be full. And I think that's just important for us to acknowledge and be okay with. It's okay. It's okay that our heart longs for something. And what our heart longs for might not be what the neighbor's heart longs for. Awesome. So what else about this clip? Well, I wanted to go back into the childlike wonder, that longing to go back. Well, there's two things. And and when we watched this episode... Zach, you and I had a couple things happen. In the Consciously Awesome alumni community, I was teaching and we were talking about finding that wonder in life that makes us want to wake up every morning and creating space again for that childlike wonder and and allowing that in, which is really important. And I think it's really important in, in that longing that she feels to go back But then we also watched a video from my new favorite (laughs) video channel. (laughs) I don't even know what it's called. Bo. Bo of the Fifth Column. Is that what it's called? Bo of the Fifth Column. But he was talking about not looking back, that we have to be forward thinking, not not trying to go back someplace. Right. That the cause he, he in that particular thing he was talking about America and the point in our descent was when we stopped looking forward at the future and when we, we went back into the nostalgia of we thought what we thought right. this particular nation stood for or whatever. So it was like that was kind of the, the tipping point when when culture decided to look back instead of forward. Right. Right. And here Kala is longing a yeah. little bit to look back because nostalgia does want like we do want to go back to an easier time like that's that's natural nostalgia is something that i think is just part of human nature it's like almost an emo- it's an emotion it might as well be on the list of emotions because it is it's a frequency that we tap into And we're going to remember the past different than it really happened. Like, that's just part of this whole experience. So 
I think it's like if we're going to look back, look back only to remember the parts of ourselves that we might have lost and then welcome them back into the present and carry on and imagine how we could use them in the future. That would be what I would say. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that, Sheila. <laughs> so what I liked after that, was there anything else about this clip that you want to bring up? Um, not this particular clip, but what happens right after. Yeah. yeah. You want to bring that up? So she was kind of talking about childlike wonder and how to be fulfilled. That's kind of what I got out of that last conversation. And then we have a little we have a little song that gets cued. And I was like, hey, is that Jack? I didn't look it up, but I was like, is that Jack Johnson? Because I'm a big fan of Jack Johnson. Uh, he does folk music and stuff. And I was like, man, this song could have been out of like Curious George or something. That was my remark because I know in the past he was, um, he made a soundtrack for one of the newer, newish, I guess it's old now, but Curious George movies. And it was just about sharing life experiences together is better. Yeah. And then it's another montage, magic music. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> magic music montage <laughs> thank you Ethan and all of your friends but yeah they moved between I mean it was so beautiful they moved between like that's when we see Sun with her dog and just taking her time going to sleep getting her face licked you know eating for the first time since well eating her you know the food that was made in love for her but and Caffius is there, and, and they just, it's the sharing with each other, but yeah, I, that childlike wonder goes right into the the next scene, which then, of course, gets darker, but <laughs> that's the way we do. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, the way we do You can go, out, go along for the ride, right? <laughs> yeah. Should we do another clip? Sure. So the next clip we have here is Whispers Comes to Will. And then Will goes to Whispers, and they're having a little conversation in London, I believe. Yep, that is London. The Black Plague revealed our vulnerabilities, and it terrified people. So what did they do? They built temples to the immortal like this. Vertical lines descend from heaven, with all the might of the Lord bearing down on a single point until it is utterly and irrevocably crushed. Let me guess. I'm not single point. No. I am. I don't expect you to understand me or my work. I'm not a misunderstood psychopath. I'm trying to engineer a future with a species that is more violent, intolerant, and possessive than any species in the history of this planet. Sapiens live in a world designed by their worst fears. And nothing terrifies them like difference. You saved your fucking justifications. You murdered an innocent girl. I know you killed Sarah Patrol. Cool. Ouch. Whisper got in some digs in this scene. <laughs> there was some more to that, too. And he got another one at the end. <laughs> like, who, who is that? I don't even know who you're talking about. But I love this scene. And I wanted to pick this one out and talk about Whispers. Because I think this is, um, to me, what's appealing to Whispers as a bad guy is that he is a psychopath. And we kind of want to like dig into his mind. I do, anyway. I think that's what makes him interesting, his motivation. Because what he does isn't that interesting to me, personally. I don't think so. Um, you know, just slicing people up, kidnapping people. That's, that's, that's boring, <laughs> as far as villains go. Um, but his motivations are intriguing and him as a homo sensorium is intriguing. And the metaphor that he uses in this scene was really, I think it was, it could be telling about his motivations and what type of character he is. Now I don't strike whispers as somebody who would believe in God per se or spirit or anything. However, the metaphor that he's talking about, um, in this is that, and he even says that he's the one who knows the truth and is being crushed by the weight of the Lord with this truth. Not in those words, in his own words. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, maybe Whispers feels like he has some 
obligation to fulfill this truth that was bestowed to, upon him by the weight of the Lord. I'm all, this is all me speculating, of course, because we really don't have the answers to this, but I just thought it was really interesting about this too. And another thing about this whole metaphor to me is what his, his version of truth is, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, freedom is the ultimate truth. The ultimate truth is understanding our natural, the essence of our being, the, the essence that is unchanged, the essence that carries on after we put down our bodies for good. To me, I think that is the truth that sets us free. When we understand the essence of what is carrying us around in this physical reality, because the only thing that is real is the thing that doesn't change. And that is our essence, right? Everything else around us is just change, 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 change. But there's an essence behind everything. So to me, typically finding a truth and finding oneness and finding expanding your identity of self to include everything else around you, because that's kind of an understood spiritual truth. Uh, and that can be experienced. And all our gurus come back and say, hey, this is awesome. Why don't you try this, right? And a reminder, but for whispers, his truth is can kill him. It can crush him. It can weigh him down. It doesn't set him free. It's a huge burden to know the truth. So I just think it was really interesting on how, um, to me, his truth is kind of the opposite of truth. It might be um, grounded in a physical reality, but where this truth th gives no freedom to anything, <laughs> not really. Like, he thinks it's going to give freedom to the homo sensoriums, but that's not really a realistic outcome of his science experiments. Well, he's lacking empathy, which is very fascinating as a homo sensorium. Right. Or is he overriding it? He might be overriding it. Something overrid it. And at this point, we don't know what that was. Um, we don't know where his cluster is or who his cluster is. We just have this single sensorium um, solving a problem in a very mechanical, logic-based way, alone, and another thing is he sees the he he is like he sees the the greater good he doesn't see individual human life as more valuable than the goal which like that's how you do war right you can't you can't be concerned about the individual losses they're nameless to him like death is nameless to him but then so is life. It, it, I mean, this is a rabbit hole because it's our fear of death that, that drives us so much. If we don't fear death, we can make some different decisions. Um, can we not fear death and also re maintain empathy? And is that the most powerful force? But he's also talking about homo... Um, sapiens being the most fear-based. Right, their whole society is based in what they fear. So he's shut down all emotions, really. They're, he's emotionalless from what we can tell. So he doesn't have fear, but he also doesn't have love. There's just nothing there left there. It's just a logical conclusion. It's reminding me of, um, we watched She-Ra, the new She-Ra, and the princess, the computer princess, I don't, do you remember her name? <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, I loved her character and I didn't know where she was going to go with it, but it was, she was fascinating. And it's the same theory as Whispers, basically. It's just, she was yeah, so into her, for sure. she was so into her enjoying the journey. It is a way of enjoying the journey, but it was enjoying the journey in her experiments and complete like 
even for herself, like whatever, you know? And there's a sense he's not trying, like he's, he said he's going to be crushed. Whisper's going to be crushed. So he's kind of assuming his life is going to end and he's just going to do as much as he can before he goes. It's just, it's, it is, he's a fascinating psychopath. <laughs> but <laughs> psychopaths are fascinating, really. That's yeah, why there's so many shows. People aren't psychopaths. It's like, how do you do that? It's so interesting. How do you not have empathy? Wow. It, it really is fascinating. And yet so many people try not to have empathy. So there's probably a bit of jealousy. That I mean, none of us want to admit that, but there's probably a little bit of jealousy when we see a psychopath like, man. <laughs> I wish I could not care about a damn thing, right? <laughs> there's got to be. I mean, you know, I think we appreciate It's not true. Emotion. He does care. He's, you know, his not I hope I get this quote right. I heard it once, but the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah, he has some good intentions. Anyway. Right? I mean, that, he does. He wants the he wants his species, at least that's what, what he's telling us, to be okay and safe and to live in. He's trying to achieve balance with Homo sapiens for Homo sensoriums. At least that's what he's telling him. Right, and at least that's what he's telling, and that's what Angelica fell for. Because it is a good answer to our question, like, what was Angelica doing with Whispers? But he made logical, even with her. So, so it's interesting that I'm thinking of her now, because she may have longed. She's, like, on fire with empathic abilities, right? Like, she just felt everything. And I think she probably longed for that logical balance, the sun and the moon, the yin and the yang, to, and it made sense to her. And we are trying to balance a logical path with an emotional path. So, yeah, pretty interesting. I also, you know, I'm a Dan Brown fan, and it really, with the talking about the architecture and, and relating that over... And then a lot of his books have a character who has made a conclusion about how to save the world. And it's usually um, includes a lot of people dying. (laughs) (laughs) So I I felt a little uh, Dan Brown energy in there, whether they did or not. I don't know, but it reminded me of his work. All right. So we have another clip, right? We sure do. So next, we're going to skip on over to a little dinner party conversation with Kala's family and Rajan's family. I do like that they show, you know, people down sitting down eating together a mm-hmm. lot. Like, that's really cool. I, I appreciate that. Um, so here we go. We have a little heated discussion between the fathers. These extremists won't be happy until they've dragged the entire world back to dark ages. I'm not sure that's what they're after, but I do take your point. Maybe we should just discuss a more pleasant subject. Good point. Mm. <laughs> this Banjari ghost is incredible. Yeah, it's wonderful. The balance between spice and masala. Sayam, you've totally outdone yourself. Thank you. Thank if, you. you if you don't mind, Sayam, do you understand the kind of the future world these terrorists hope to build with their bombs? It's not for me to speak for them. Well, somebody should. Somebody should, because they themselves obviously can't speak any other language besides violence. Maybe that was the language that was taught to them. Oh, don't tell me you are one of those liberals who really believes these psychopaths who murdered innocent civilians. They themselves are the victims. No, 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 no. I'm one of those silly people who believe that if you kill someone, you should be tried for it. Whether you're a psychopath, a policeman, or a president. You're worse than a liberal. Oh, Daya. <laughs> May I have some of the dal? Dad, the Can dal? I give you some rice? One sec, one sec, one sec, one sec. Hold on, hold on. Let me ask you something, Manindra. As a government insider, tell me, since the British left, the structure of power, the distribution of wealth, these things remain almost identical. And sometimes, I ask myself, why? Maybe a man as smart as you can finally answer this question for me. You know, I think I'll have a bit more dal myself. Yes, yes, dal. It's very good, right? Mm. Really, I'm having so much of the dal. In my humble opinion, Sanyam, societies remain unchanged because the human beings remain unchanged. Not everyone is born to be a great leader. Just as not everyone is born to be a cook. Okay, I see. 
Well, spending a lifetime in the kitchen learning how to cook was my destiny. Just as inheriting a fortune was yours. Who's having flashbacks to their Thanksgiving dinner? <laughs> For <laughs> the U.S. <me>. listeners. <laughs> no, we didn't have that. But there was a lot of talk on social media leading up to last week's Thanksgiving in the U.S. where people were talking about their holiday dinner with different political views. <laughs> I mean, we, we did uh, sit down after watching Sorry to Bother You by Boots Riley, starring Michael Summers. <laughs> and, you and, right, yeah. yes. <laughs> and so I had talks about that, but it wasn't over, um, it wasn't over Thanksgiving. Today. And it was just two of you. The rest needed. of us went to bed. <laughs> right. Just talking about the metaphors and the philosophies of it. <laughs> That's good dialogue. But it's interesting just that, how much so everybody just wanted to keep the peace there and pretend let's just talk about the food, you know, and yet so much gets said. Yeah. And I, I really like this. You know, I like the Wachowskis and J. Michael Straczynski because everything's really great because you can kind of see both sides of the spectrum in this conversation. I can. Well, isn't that the whole. Yeah, that's their point. Because it's not for the two characters having dinner. It's for us. <laughs> so we can grow by seeing more sides and having dialogue and not being afraid to have that dialogue. But there's just so many points in there. There's the whole um, fear is in there, the psychopath and... The idea, so we've got the idea of terrorism and who do we call a terrorist and how did they become a terrorist? Who taught them to become a terrorist? How did we interpret that that was their way? And why can they only speak with bombs? You know, well, most likely because somebody wasn't listening to them before the bombs. I mean, to me, that's a logical sequence. Yeah. The whole idea in there, you know, just this loaded thing where he, you know, are you a liberal? Are you one of those liberals? And he's like, I'm someone that believes you should be punished yeah, for killing. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are. How about, you know? And well, he names the cops and he names the uh, president. President. Yeah. And yeah, I, I can see why the United States wasn't so cool on this show getting a season three. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure if you were going to say something about that earlier, too, even with whispers. You know, there's a lot of um, a lot of repetition in this show about homo sapiens and how we live our lives. Yeah. Like it is a common thread throughout a lot of this. Right. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, yeah, then in this, they talk about how he doesn't think that society is going to change because the humans aren't changing and he's sitting there at dinner with a with a sapien you know or with a sensorium and the changing evolution right in his face and we are changing but the the stories haven't changed yet because at this point in the episode they're not so in our in our world, it, we aren't coming together. But that's why it's such a threat when we come together. And as this um, episode evolves, we start to see when we come together, the power that we can have when conscious people, if we just translate it to everyday life, when conscious people come together, the human does evolve the human is evolving and therefore society will eventually evolve as a result at least we hope so right <laughs> that's the that's my plan yeah. <laughs> it appears to be uh the wachowskis and straczynski's and all the writers plan too yes, they they wrote a story to help us out with that that was so sweet of them yeah. thanks for the change <laughs> Well, I mean, think about it. It is already. I mean, we know this ep- this podcast is about living it, but it has already brought people together and let people claim who they are a little bit more. It's given us hope during a difficult time. 
it's just so important. And that's why so many people around the world came together through this because they saw this and they said, oh, yes, I'm one of them. I see the world this way. And we came together, and that's awesome. I agree. All right, so let's go to our next clip. We have the cluster getting ready to make a big decision. Yeah, so this is kind of what we were leading up to in the big shift of the episode. Yeah, and in this 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 clip, so leading up to this clip, we have uh, Leto again going back to the bar where he um, kissed the bartender back then and really inspired the bartender to live an inspired life, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, and then he says to Lido, oh, Lido, you know, I had the best year of my life, basically, is what he said. And he got married to his Pepe, who was there as well. And that was really important for Lido to see. Right? Yeah. That was kind of a turning point that um, Lido kind of understood by being authentic, he could have a big impact yeah. on people's lives. He might not be an actor, per se, but he's still, I mean, he's a figure. Right. He is a public figure still, somehow. And um, But anyway, so that was a very um, awesome scene leading up to where we're going to listen to now, which is here. He's all right. Nothing changes if we keep playing you safe. Look at me. Look at us. We're hiding in holes. Whispers has turned me into a fugitive. He's got me acting like one and thinking like one. I'm not. I'm a cop. The fugitive runs because he's alone. The cop knows he's not. Whisper showed me something. It's something I've been missing. It's the scale of this fight. Why does BPO have so many resources? It has to be because there is a lot more of us out there than we thought. We need to find them. Vincent, this is Riley. We risk so much to get you free, Riley. It seems very dangerous to me, exposing ourselves like this. Vincent offered us protection. Guys, are we really gonna put our lives in the hands of someone like Vincent? What do you mean, someone like Vincent? Someone who doesn't like his movies. Nah, nah. Well, I mean, tasty movies is a lot about someone. You can't win a fight protecting yourself. A coded media alert can make it almost impossible for cops to respond fast enough. Not just the plan. What do you think about the risk itself? Your life is either defined by the system or by the way you defy the system. Wolfgang? Fear never fixed anything. Fear never fixed anything. Super cool clip. Watching this the the second. I, I always get to see more when I'm watching this the second time over. This is my second viewing. But on this one, they're all when um, they're all pitching together to make this decision, they're actually looking themselves in the mirror. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's way cool." So like they're trying to find the answers within themselves right. if they want to make this huge decision because they're going to expose themselves again mm -hmm. and you know po possibly compromise Riley again. And they just like <laughs> they went through a lot to get her out of the last place. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and it's really compromising, all of them. Right. But, so starting with the theme that they all say in one way or another, you can't win playing safe, you know, and Will saying, I'm acting like a fugitive. 
that's not who I am. They've got me thinking and thinking and acting like a fugitive. A fugitive feels alone. A cop, the difference is a cop knows that there's more of them, right? That there are more. Though this is just how the world controls us and how right. we choose I not can't, to be I couldn't controlled. Like, not think of the whole surf aristocratic or surf royalty dynamic we have going on right and then as especially in our society here in america we're so we let technology kind of divide ourselves not even just like politically and all this kind of stuff we're all on our own cell phones now and less and less people are kind of engaging with reality and so like we're kind of like getting soloed out voluntarily speaking and so we kind of everybody feels alone and that's why sense it's amazing is because people saw this and they didn't feel alone anymore right right so that was a huge deal but to me i look and i look at our behaviors and, and technology and where we're going and all this kind of stuff and i'm like oh our environment is making us think we're something we're not it's very matrixy if you ask me um and i know he's just talking about being a fugitive but if I dig a little bit deeper and our own environment and how we feel alone, right. And we're in survival and we don't, you know, there's tribalism and all this kind of stuff. They, they think about instead of a cop, you know, there's a whole police force mm -hmm. and they have backup and they think differently because they know they have a different perception. So anyway, and then coming together, <laughs> we'll talk about that here in a second. Well, then but. I think that is what, you know, so, um, so that's why this show got taken off Netflix. <laughs> We're just going to say that all the time now. And look, this is also why. And I'm not saying this is Netflix. Right. It's, uh, it's higher than Netflix. Believe me, Netflix is bad. not BPO. Do not expose the truth about the establishment or our <laughs> mental matrix. Well, we have this going back in history for a very long time, you know, We've got the real witch hunts, which aren't the witch hunts going on now. <laughs> the actual witch hunts where they burned women of power and even some men and, and segregated and kept everyone in hiding. I mean, it goes back into ancient stories, even in, of Magdalene and the reduction. And I'm not talking about just females. We're talking about the heart center, right? So when the heart center opens up and has power, then the establishment of that time will try to suppress it and seclude it because when that power comes together... And it it amplifies when we come together. Um, it amplifies. So, this is a storyline that we've been dealing with for a long time. We're we're just newbies here, and we're not newbies here. Like as far as we think that we're doing this for the first time, but we're not. This story has been going on for a long time. What happens, I think, to us as humans, and I think that you know, technology and and survival and fear are tools that are used to separate us and keep us secluded. I think not being understood, not feeling like someone understands us, secludes us as well. So when we become belittled or unheard of our for our voice of consciousness, of seeing the bigger picture, of understanding that there's something beyond the fear-based mentality, that we could move beyond survival into something creative and beautiful. When we experience that and we don't get validified by that because we get suppressed, or even, to be honest, even the rest of the people at the dinner party that were just trying to talk about the masala, they were doing that. They're like, don't speak your truth. That's, that's a very subtle message of, I would rather not see who you are than experience the conflict that might come from your disagreement, right? So we do it to each other. And so to move beyond that and to come together, this is a... This is a huge, huge turning point in the story arc of Sense8 when we, we come out of fear and we start taking action. 
That's why courage is so important, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what they they looked within themselves. They made that decision to have the courage to change. Like in that dinner conversation, like human, like one of the guys said, well, it, the problem is humans don't change because we need the courage to look outside of our current, what we think is our current situation and make sure our environment isn't really defining us as much as possible. I'm not saying that that's, you know, easy, <laughs> But that's that's the message, and so they're like, "Well, there's got to be more of us. We, let's let's make this courageous leap because if we don't do something different, we're just going to keep repeating the same thing. And the only way to do something different is to be courageous and dive into that fear." Right. So when we stop living from the state of fear as individuals, that is how the powers that be control us. And when we refuse to buy into it, and that's hard to do when we're bombarded with going against a system, not, you know, we could maybe rationalize that we're not going to get burned at a stake physically. You know, there's a lot of us that could take a lot of actions and go pretty far without being killed for it. But that losing your home, not being able to take care of your children, not being able to get fed, being homeless, like that's where the threat comes in. The struggle is real. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that having everybody always living on the edge or most people or even people who have funds fearing that they could lose them at any time. Keeping that mentality alive is what keeps us on Oh yeah, and it's been working edge. for thousands and thousands right. Right. This isn't new. Exactly. And so, you know, so the Women's March that came, you know, to me, going back a couple years to the first Women's March that was all around the world, people coming together and saying, no, we're here. We are moving forward. That's the same as this scene. It's like, I see you. I see you and I see you around the world and I no longer feel alone. And look at all the stuff that happened as a result of that here as far as the Me Too movement and all of the different, um, you know, our elections shifted to the the most females being elected during the midterms. So, the, and, and again, it's not about male and female. It's about the alpha and the omega. It's about the heart center and the, the mind or the logic and bringing those into balance. And it's about us all coming together. And that's scary to the powers that be. And, and I love where Will is like, oh, wait a second. If BPO has all this money, then... Logic tells me we're not the only ones. There is a shitload of us out there. And that's the same with our with our real world, right? If the powers that are controlling us globally have this much money, are investing this much resource into keeping us suppressed, there is a hell of a lot of us out there that are ready to live a more evolved life and move this humanity forward amen (laughs) amen sister amen and love 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 the line about what movies you like are important (laughs) (laughs) good old lito there for some uh, talking comedy (laughs) yeah that was great (laughs) so we have the cluster there and they just they made this decision Mm -hmm. they're gonna do it so the next clip we have here is uh, Riley exposing herself like, doing a show for yeah. the first time uh, with the understanding that it's going to be safe for her. Like she's got somebody watching her back. Uh, hi. I don't usually talk up here. But I need to say something I should have said a year ago. I wasted a lot of my life with my eyes looking down. Afraid of anything beyond the next step. And then something happened to me. Someone reminded me to look up. And I wanted to tell that someone thank you. 
wanted to tell you that I love you. Tonight, I want everyone in this room to know that I see you. I believe in you. And as long as we're together, I know that there's nothing we can't do. Insert awesome remix. <laughs> yeah. Four non blondes. Yeah. Music montage. <laughs> so that just piggybacks. Right after the next, I mean, it's kind of all one scene. Yeah, it kind of all bleeds together. But you know, they they made that decision, and it was just it's a beautiful message, simple from Riley. Right? It was just this: you had to just be reminded to look up. Like she was secluded. She was secluded. She only was looking at the next step. She was in fear. Mm-hmm. Right? And then yeah, I had a flashback to when we first met her and. You know, she was, I think she was cutting, she was suicidal, she was using drugs, she was just doing everything to keep the fear at bay and not look up and see the world around her. And then there's the grief and the not looking past that. And then it's the it's Will saying, wait, everybody, we got to stop being on the defensive. We have to start leading this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really powerful. But then the words, you know, that's what we all want to hear. We want to hear, I see you, I believe in you, and together we can do this. And it's true, people, Sense8 fans, as you know, we are the power of the planet. Like, people run this place. Nobody else runs this place but people. And when people realize that they can come together to make a huge shift in the world, it happens. And Sense8s, you guys did this, right? You got us, we got us the, the finale. Right? That was something unheard of too. And it, it might be a TV show or a Netflix show that we're talking about, renewing season three or getting whatever that may be. But we got something out of it because there was so much, commo- so much momentum behind it. So could you imagine if that many people came together for human rights or uh, something else in the world that was like not a Netflix show? Could you imagine like we could we could change this world overnight if we just had that realization? Okay, I'm going to change that. We can <laughs> change this world overnight when we have this realization and we're going to and to me yes the 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 getting the the special or the finale that was an amazing piece of evidence of what we can do together and we can continue to fight for season 3 if if that's where your heart is guiding you, put your attention there. But also remember that the most important part of this, in honoring the storytellers, so if you, in honoring Lana and J. Michael and Lily and all of the writers that created this beautiful message, listen to the message and let's make it bigger. So, we can go for season three, but let's not stop there. Go for the world, <laughs> right? Let's, let's, they gave this to us. They've given us this message. They've looked into our eyes and said, I see you. I believe in you. Together we can do this. So let's just do this. That's what Sense8 is to me. Let's just do this. Let's all love each other, see each other, claim each other, and use that force to evolve the human race into a sensorium sensate mentality and overthrow the powers that be not with violence, but with 
with power of love and and acknowledgement because the power that they hold is in our separation. The power that they hold is in our remaining in fear. The power that they hold is us being the fugitive and trying to protect ourselves and trying to survive instead of coming together in the massive force that we are in love, in consciousness, and taking an entire wave over the world and saying, let's do this. Excellent. <laughs> yes, I agree, Sheila. I agree. Should I get off my soapbox? <laughs> I'm off. Back down. <laughs> soapbox on the side. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for listening today. I got a big shout out to Miss Sarah Applegate, the editor of the Live Sense 8 podcast. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for listening to the show and spending your time here with us today. You can reach out to us on Twitter at live underscore sense eight. You can always send us an email as well. That's team at live sense eight.com and to support the show so we can grow and be, you can become part of the community and grab some awesome perks and exclusive content. Head over to patreon.com forward slash live sense eight. Until next time, you say classy, San Diego. I'm just kidding. Stay connected. <laughs> <laughs>